everybody. Welcome to episode 11 of Take the Mic. And you can hear I have a scratchy throat, bit of a sore throat and cold for the past couple of weeks. Sorry about that. But my guest today is going to talk to us about the startling similarity between choreographing a dance and doing public speaking. She has been a public speaker as a lawyer and now as a candidate for state legislature in Massachusetts. And in her spare time when she's not a mom or running for office or working as a lawyer, she has been and run a professional Israeli dance troupe. Most of us would just do one of those things and be happy, right? So she's going to talk to us about this cool idea about how speaking is like choreography. And she's going to tell us a lot of other cool stuff about her life, her background, her family, and how she's running her campaign. So let's listen to Becca Rausch. Hey, everybody. It's Kathy McNally with Take the Mic Podcast. And my guest today is Becca Rausch. Hello, Becca. And tell us what you're running for. Hello, Kathy. Thank you so much for having me on the program. I am running for State Senate here in Massachusetts in the Norfolk, Bristol, and Middlesex District. This is Scott Brown's former State Senate seat, the one he vacated in 2010 to go up to the U.S. Senate. And I am running to flip it from red to a nice shade of progressive blue. What is your day job? What have you been doing up to this time? That is a great question. I am a lawyer by trade. I immediately before running, I was working for the state executive office of health and human services as the first ever electronic discovery attorney for that secretariat. It's the biggest secretariat in the Commonwealth. It is a position that role as a chief e-discovery attorney was never in existence before I said to the general counsel at the time, I think we need to do this. I think we need someone to focus specifically on e-discovery and the record center, how we deal with records, how we manage records, which records get produced in which cases, et cetera, public records, particularly in light of the change to our public records law in 2017. And the general counsel at the time said, yes, write a job description. So I did. And a few months later, I became the first ever e-discovery attorney for that secretariat. You have a little bit of confidence, I'm going to guess, because (laughs) you you did that. And then what happened? So you're the e-discovery, oh, head person, head honcho. So what happened? Why did you decide to run? So I actually, uh, because of a clause in the contract between my union and the government, I was required to go on leave from that position. Uh, So I took a leap of faith and declared my candidacy after all of the leave paperwork was filed. And I was fortunate enough shortly thereafter to secure a position in the private sector for a private company uh, working in their general counsel's office. So I am now in-house counsel part-time for a private company and I spend all the rest of my time campaigning. So why did you want to jump into this race? Probably not a very, well, it was probably a challenging race, I'm going to guess. It's been red. So tell us what what got you in. Sure. Um, So you're correct. The district has been held by the GOP for a very long time. In fact, its entire history, with the exception of one Democrat, 
also a woman who lives in Needham or lived at the time in Needham as I live now. I decided to run in no small part because of the work I did for the state government. I have seen the state government from the inside, which of course provides you uh, any person with a different perspective than you otherwise might be able to get. I have seen internally what works and I have seen from the inside what doesn't work. So I have a really strong basis from that set of experiences of over three years working for the state executive branch as to where we can push to make progress. Where can we make progressive change? Where can we find the funds to make those kinds of changes and support those kinds of changes? In addition, in 2017, I ran, so just last year, I ran for Needham Town Meeting and was elected, and now I represent Precinct A. We are actually in the middle of our legislative session right now, so I have some legislative experience and discovered through joining town meeting, which I did because I mostly didn't see representation that looked like me. Most of our town meeting members were a good bit older than me, and we have a number of people, particularly in my precinct, our young family. I said, we need a voice of young families in our local representative body. And so I ran and I won, um, and I'm very honored to serve as a voice for young families in Needham. And we are, again, in the middle of that session now, and I discovered that I both enjoy and am good at advocating for constituents. For example, last year, one of the big issues that town meeting addressed was our community pool. And we were in the process of also making a decision about implementing full day kindergarten, which we still don't have, but will have next year. And those are two things that I advocated for as a town meeting member last year in Nita. And we are now about to have, uh, which is great. <laughs> I've seen it from, I've seen the state level, I've seen the local level. I have been dedicated to social justice pretty much my whole life. I am the granddaughter of a Holocaust survivor. Most of my family was wiped out in the Holocaust or that branch of my family. My grandfather survived a camp, made it out, eventually made it to the US, enlisted, and went right back to his hometown in Germany to fight against the atrocities of Hitler and the Nazis, which tells you something about who he was. Mm -hmm. um, my mother, his daughter, when I was a child, started a nonprofit, um, co-founded a nonprofit that was designed specifically to assist in locating and prosecuting Nazi war criminals, which tells you something about who mm -hmm. she is. Mm -hmm. And I, as you already know, um, also see things and try to fix them. Uh, from my experience in this state government, do everything we can to make things better. But also, given that component of my personal history, walked into math class one day in high school and found a swastika on my desk. Once the shock wore off, the very next thought that came into my head was, I have to fix this. So I went on to devote my career to progressive values, social justice, fairness, and equality for everyone, whatever your particular access of identity happened. It's why I went to law school, to learn to use the law as a tool. For, it's why I became a union steward, push for the priorities of workers. It is why I ran for town meeting last year, and it is why I advocated for and then became the first ever e-discovery attorney for the State Executive Office of Health and Human Services. And in those capacities, I have pushed for progress that make our communities stronger. While also generating transparency, because I wholeheartedly believe, and as our next state senator, will push for 
progressive social policies to be implemented by a transparent and accountable government because that is how our communities continue to be strong and continue to grow stronger. So Becca, I recognize here, I have a very well-spoken, articulate, and confident guest on my show and candidate. So I'm just going to ask you, how did you get to be able to deliver your platform and your talk and your your business case, you know, why we should accept it just in a fantastic job. How did you get so good at that? How did you, how were you able to do what you just did in the past? We've been talking for 10 minutes and you just did an amazing job of making the case to vote. Well, Tell thank me. you so much. I appreciate that. <laughs> take, take us, take us behind the curtain at what happened sure. to create that. Yeah. Well, um, I am lucky that I am an extrovert by nature, uh, but certainly that is not the only thing that leads a person or, or me specifically to be a good public speaker. Um, lots and lots and lots of practice for sure. I actually don't remember the first time I ever stood up and spoke to an audience, um, but I certainly had amazing role models when I was a kid. My mom is also a fantastic public speaker, so I learned from her and watched her grow and develop, um, specifically in the realm of public speaking and communication. Um, I also am well, at least I was at one point in my youth a musician. Uh, so I played a bunch of instruments when I was a kid and also have been a dancer my whole life. I actually, when I'm not being a lawyer or a candidate or a mom of two young kids or a spouse, um, <laughs> I run a professional Israeli dance company. What? Wait yeah. a minute. <laughs> um, we actually performed for the United Nations in November in celebration of the 70th anniversary of Israel becoming a state, which was a huge honor. Um, and we were very lucky and grateful for that opportunity. Um, so I actually think of choreography and making choreography as something and then performing that choreography as something very similar to public um, because public speaking is not just about being able to stand up and talk. That right. is really actually kind of a small part of it, at least mm -hmm. for me. A huge part of it is being able to interact with your audience. And choreography in a lot of ways is exactly the same. You know, how are the dance moves going to convey a story? How will the audience be pulled into the movement that we provide? Uh, what fits in the space? Yeah. <laughs> Physically, yeah. what fits in the space? And you know, to the same extent, you know, what sort of volume do we need for the music? And what kind of lighting? And all of these things that you think about as a choreographer and an artistic director of a dance company are exactly the same things that I think about as I start engaging with people in a public setting. So say, can you say more about that? Like one of the questions, ask yourself that are like a choreographer's question. Sure, well, how big is the space? <laughs> this is a great question, right? If you look around the room and you're in someone's dining room for example, right? One of the things that candidates do is meet in people's homes and have conversations with people about the future of our district and progressive values and how we're going to win this race come the primary in September and also the general in November. Um, and that room is, you know, the size of an average dining room, perhaps, or a living room, you know, not so huge. I also speak in very large spaces. And so the volume of my voice needs to change and the intonation sometimes needs to change. And my gestures, my actual physical gestures need to change depending on the literal size of the room and also the size of the crowd. Um, and that I think is very similar to, you know, developing choreography for a uh, 
20 by 30 stage or a six by eight tiny little, which we have done. Yeah. <laughs> so in other words, you're not, you're not screaming and gesticulating wildly in your neighbor's dining room, right? And you're not speaking in a quiet, that's, right. that's really a great analogy. You know, there's a lot of analogies out there and that mm-hmm. is a really a nice one. How is public speaking like choreography? And you haven't really said a word about the words you say, right? Because, I haven't. <laughs> that's true. Because the physical act is is so critical and people won't hear the words you say if you're not physically responding to the space and them in an, uh, an appropriate way. That is that is very true. Um, of course, the content of what you say is important. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the things that candidates do is polling, and we also dig very deeply into ourselves. Why are we here? What are we doing? Why are we taking on this massive endeavor, particularly as someone who cannot self-fund a campaign, um, and campaigns cost money. So, mm-hmm. you know, all of these things go into consideration, but the polling certainly informs the message that we deliver to voters. As I think one of the first things I mentioned earlier was to practice, practice, practice. Mm -hmm. So um, as you might imagine, at this point in my campaign, having declared at the very end of November in 2017, I have done a lot of practicing, Yeah, (laughs) Uh, which certainly helped in terms of content delivery. And we continue to receive feedback and tweak the way the actual word that get conveyed as mm-hmm. I do a crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, just this week, I have spent a lot of time talking about gun safety and gun sense and gun violence prevention, um, because that is the nature of the folks to whom I was speaking and with whom I was engaging. Um, an issue that is, of course, so important to me and also so many other people. I mean, my kids go to daycare, they're not yet old enough for school, but we had a bomb scare this year. Wow. And so I know on a very personal level what that feels like. And um, we were very lucky that that was a false alarm, but it is scary and we need to do something in that space. At the same time, sometimes I am talking to people who are particularly concerned about healthcare. And I'm a healthcare attorney by trade. I taught health law when I was teaching law school. And so I spend more time talking about health law and uh, health care delivery and how we move forward to create progressive change that actually generate universal access to affordable and quality health care and how we can, from a legislative perspective, support innovative and evidence-based solutions to the opioid epidemic. So you have to be able to read your crowd and, and have a broad set of knowledge and information and also interest on a variety of different topics because that's what makes a good legislator. You have to be able to engage on a bunch of different issues in a concrete, real way. And importantly, a big part of public speaking is listening. And I spend a lot of time listening to lots and lots and lots of people. And it's one of the, perhaps the, the component of being a candidate for which I am most grateful. Oh, say more about that. I feel so lucky and privileged to be able to hear so much about people's lived realities. What works for you in your daily life? What doesn't work for you in your daily life? What are your ideas about how to make your lived reality better? Because I don't know. I am not the expert in your lived reality. You are the expert in your lived reality. And I think that is a huge part of what legislators are supposed to do, make lived realities 
better for the people in their district and the people in this commonwealth. And so I spend, and it is a real privilege to be able to spend this kind of time and for people to open up to me in this way about their personal stories, Um, you know, listening to how things are going in people's lives and then bring those stories together, find commonality and turn those stories into legislative reality. So I'm going to ask you a question. As a lawyer in all your different sorts of uh, paths as a lawyer, you have to be a good talker, right? Uh, but then you're a candidate, and I think the demands are, are a little bit different. Can you say anything about that transition from the kind of lawyer talking you did and speaking to the kind of candidate speaking you have to do? How was it similar? Were there any new challenges? Sure. So I, I should probably say that not all lawyers have to be good speakers. Yeah. <laughs> um, and lawyers kind of tend to self-select in that way. Um, litigators, which is generally the kind of lawyer that most people think about because those are the lawyers. Yes, litigators have to do a lot of, of public speaking. Um, and I was a litigator at the beginning of my career for a number of years. And so I'm going to talk about that. Okay. Um, and you know, I, I then transitioned into different roles. And I actually think that the roles I'm in now are much more similar to being a candidate. But a litigator, you know, someone who goes to court, right, spends a lot of time arguing. You're arguing for a position, you're advocating for your client, you do research to find what has come before, and you use the law of cases that have come before to apply to the particular case at hand. And you use the law and the the law that came before, plus the facts you have right now, to advocate for your client to win the day, whatever winning happens to look like in that. Right. And that I think is very different actually from what a candidate does because a candidate's work and I think a legislator's work is much more collaborative. Having served and continuing to serve as a member of our local legislative body, I find that we catch more flies with honey for lack of a better phrase. (laughs) That kind of collaborative work. and, And that's actually something I did while I was working for the executive branch as well, bringing people together to get good ideas on the table, creating a space where we can talk honestly, meaningfully about the kinds of change, the spaces of change that we need and the kinds of change in those particular spaces. The more we can converse with each other effectively, collaboratively, collegially, the better outcome we all get. And not just for the people sitting at the table, right? Because this is, we're talking about our state legislature for all of the people in this commonwealth and it particularly in this moment in our history especially where Massachusetts has been a leader in this nation before potentially for the whole country so that is notably different from the work of a legislator uh, excuse me of a litigator you know lawyers that work internally who are doing a different sort of work or lawyers that do corporate law who are not lots and lots and lots of lawyers don't actually stand up in court. <laughs> and that kind of work I think is much more aligned actually with what negotiation. Yeah, negotiation, bringing yeah. people to the table, coming to some kind of a- Were there challenges in the kind of speaking you were strong at and the kind of speaking that was required as a candidate or has it been a pretty smooth transition? For me personally, it has been a mostly smooth transition. I'm very grateful for that to have happened happened fairly naturally. As I mentioned before, I was a litigator at the start of my career and I come from a feisty family. So uh, sometimes that does come up to uh, bite me, so to speak. You know, there are always things that are challenging. I will say that 
every once in a while, I can feel my get a little flush. And uh -huh. a little tool I picked up along the way as a suggestion to stop that from happening is to squeeze your fingers into the palms of your hands um, because it, that action in your hands draws the blood away from your face and then your face doesn't become so flushed. That is a good one. Nifty little trick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, all these little tricks of the trade, making sure you, for example, go to the bathroom before you get up to speak, making sure that you are comfortable in whatever it is you happen to be wearing. You know, a lot of public speaking and connecting with your audience authentic, right. uh, being honest with yourself. In addition to being honest, very challenging. Present yourself in an honest and authentic sort of way if you are very uncomfortable in the clothing that you're wearing. Um, and I think it's particularly challenging for women to strike this balance of yeah. comfort and professionalism. Uh, so personally, as a candidate, I spent a lot of time standing up with some noted exceptions of very beloved heels. I generally find heels to be rather uncomfortable. They squish my feet, you know, my feet get tired. Even as a dancer, I've been a dancer my whole life. I can certainly walk around in all sorts of different shoes, but these days I prefer flats. And that's how I feel more comfortable and that makes me a better speaker. So again, we're going to the costuming end of, mm -hmm. <laughs> of dance or performance and thinking about the physical and how that can support you being authentic. Right. Well, what advice would you have, Becca? You see a lot of candidates, women candidates. I imagine you came, I got your name from Emerge, which is this nationwide, both nationwide and statewide advocacy or training sort of camp program for women candidates. And so you see a lot of them. What advice do you have to women who want to run for office and in the public speaking? My best advice, I think, is to do some soul searching before you stand up. Why are you here? And be confident in why you're here, whatever the reason happens to be. But whatever your personal story is, that is the story that will be most telling to your constituents, to your donors, to your future colleagues in whatever, whatever body of government you happen to be running for. Yeah, I think people might say, well, how is that true, Becca? My story isn't so inspiring or I don't have a special story. What's that? I bet there is. <laughs> it might not be uh, blatantly obvious. Mm -hmm. uh, and finding finding your voice within your story is, I think, some iterative process. It is certainly something that I spent a lot of time thinking about and talking to a number of other people, you know, my spouse, my parents, my sibling, my kitchen cabinet, so to speak. That's mm -hmm. one of those terms. And as you become a candidate, you learn the term kitchen cabinet. It doesn't actually mean the place where you keep your plates and cups. It means the people who are in your close circle of advisors. Mm -hmm. And my story, my message came out of a number of those conversations. And the more you talk about it, the more you will find the things that continue to come up. And probably your story is right there. But you must have a reason for wanting to run. And that reason, generally speaking, is not just Trump got elected in 20. I mean, yeah. sure, right? Trump got elected in 2016 and lots and lots and lots of women all across the country said, I got to do something about this. And, um, and I'm honored and privileged to be a part of that, honored and privileged to be a part of the Emerge current class, um, joining these ranks of women who have come before me and certainly the women who will come after me to make progressive change, both in Massachusetts and beyond. But there is, there is a story for each and every one of us as to how we got here. For me, Trump and the 
uh, you know, the events of 2016, attending the Women's March shortly thereafter in January was sort of the icing on the cake of public service that I had already been baking for decades. And until I started talking about that privately with my kitchen cabinet, with my family, with my staff, I was not yet prepared to articulate it in such a powerful way as I am now. And that story was there all along that I just needed those conversations to make sure I could find it. Because once you have your story, then you have your connection. You always have that connection and it can't go away. And you, it's, it's a grounding sort of connection. And I imagine, so for me, your story was that formative event when you were a teenager seeing the swastika. Your, your grandparents, your family members, your mother starting the nonprofit organization, et cetera. Is, is that right? That's your story. Yep. Both yep. of my parents also were public servants. So I grew up around activism and public service. And it has been a huge part of my formation as a human and of who I am as a person and a professional and also who I am as a parent. And I have long been dedicated to progressive values and social justice. This is now I can see that this was the natural next step for me to take. I am the candidate in this race with the skill and experience at both the state and local levels of government to be an effective progressive voice starting on my very first day in office. Beautifully put, Becca. And where can people learn more about you? People can go to BeccaRausch.com. That's B-E-C-C-A-R-A-U-S-C-H. Read all about it. Sign up to volunteer. We are a spunky team and we give you tasty snacks. No, <laughs> <laughs> no experience necessary. We, uh, we have lots and lots and lots of different volunteer opportunities if people... Um, are able to make a donation. We put every dollar to good use and I would be very grateful for any and all support. We are also actually taking on summer interns. So uh, folks who have the summers off, high school and college in particular, if you are interested in getting involved with a progressive woman under 40 looking to make a change in a long-held Republican district, come on board. We would be glad to have you. Becca, that is great. Best of luck with your race, and we'll be watching you. Thank you so much. Hey, everybody. I hope you liked listening to Becca as much as I like talking to her. And if you want to know more about this podcast or my organization, Women Speak Up, please go to womenspeakup.org, and you'll find all about the podcast. You can listen to all the podcasts. You can also look for take the mic on iTunes podcast and Stitcher and you can subscribe there and if you do go there and you like the podcast that you heard here please do rate it and please share it with your friends so that we can have more women inspiring other women and if you have an idea for somebody who would be a great guest or you yourself would be a great guest please do write to me at kathy at womenspeakup.org and even if you have a scratchy voice like I do, ladies, remember, take the mic. <laughs>